Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. Hosted by Matt Noss and Nate Wright. Welcome back. Episode 9, Part-Time Outdoors. Today we have Logan Hossefluck on. He is a forester and he's out of West Virginia. So a lot of this will be focused in West Virginia, but the points still apply to pretty much everywhere. And he'll be going over best forestry practices as well as touching on logging, different cuts, things like that. Before we get into the episode, I do want to touch on a subject that has kind of frustrated me lately. Um, There's been a a few people out, not at us, but I've seen some posts lately talking about how businesses and podcasts and things like that are really just exploding and, and they're raking in tons of money and they're not giving back. And that just makes me so mad, you know? So before you buy things, look at the company, see, you know, do a little research, see where their profits go. Are they given back to these organizations before you buy? Just something to think about, you know, I'm, me, Nate and myself, I, I know I'm a member, you know, Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, BHA. You know, I try to give back when I can. I'm definitely trying to get more involved. But there's there's no reason, if you're going to go out and you're going to shoot a grouse, you need to be part of Rough Grouse Society. If you're going to shoot a duck, you need to be part of Ducks Unlimited. That's just the way it is. That's how I feel. If you don't like it, sorry. But that's... These organizations are why we have part of the reason why we have what we have. And if we don't protect it while we have it, it's not going to be around for our kids, for our grandchildren, for future generations. So that it just really makes me mad when people are just oblivious to that fact. So just something to think about. If you're going to go out grass hunting tomorrow, maybe join grass, rough grass society, you know, 
just something to think about. We're not at the point yet where we're turning a profit. We're getting ready to join Waypoint. So you will be hearing a couple advertisements in our episodes. But once we get to that point where we're turning profits, I guarantee you we're not going to be one of those companies. We will give back. Now, that'll how much will depend on how much we make and things like that. But we will be giving back. And I just want to make that abundantly clear that we're not going to be one of those companies. So with that being said, we will get into the episode with Logan. Hey, man, what's going on? Oh, not much. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Actually just got in. Sorry, we're getting started so late here. Uh, actually killed something for once. That's good. That's good. That's what we like to hear. Sorry to keep you waiting. The The one time oh, we get to record no a podcast, uh, Nate decides to shoot a deer two hours before, but <laughs> we're happy I for wouldn't him. Have it any other w- I yeah. wouldn't have it any other way. It always turns. I kind of understand because every time I shoot a deer, I'm always like, all right, I'll be done this in like an hour or two, and then it always just turns into, you know how it is. So. Oh, yeah. I know how it is. I know how it is. So we're... Oh, man, we'll- Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, we're recording, um, so we'll just go ahead and hop into things here. Um, so we have, is it is it Hussefluk? Is Did I pronounce that correctly? Hossefluk. Hossefluk. So we have yeah. Logan Hossefluk on today, um, and I'll let you kind of do your introduction, but I know that you are you the owner or the co-owner of JTH Enterprise? Co-owner, yeah. Co-owner. Um, I own it with my father, Jeff, yeah. Okay. If you want to just go ahead and give people a little background on yourself, and then we'll get into some topics today. Okay. Um, so, like I said, my name's Logan Hossflick. I'm a co-owner of JTH Enterprise um, LLC. We're a consultant forestry firm uh, based out of Clarksburg, West Virginia. Um, essentially, what we do is we represent private timber landowners um, in the help of managing their timber and managing their ground um, for all the benefits that that you own ground and in terms of your timber production, um, wildlife habitat, you know, forest infrastructure. I mean, every, we deal, we deal with everything pretty much. If it involves a tree or a plant, um, we, we deal with it. So, um, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in our work and, uh, you know, we implement the best stewardship practices and, and forest silviculture practices into, and each one of our clients is ground. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's provided very, a very, very good living for us. And, uh, you know, it's just really a good blessing to be able to get up every day and go out and do something you love and make a difference for people and just see them be able to utilize their ground to the, to the fullest potential. So, Yeah, for, that's, that's definitely great. something that we need a lot more of. We need more loggers yes. and we need more foresters. Yes, for sure. We, we Right now in our industry in West Virginia, you know, we're a, we're a $36 billion industry in terms of wood products and timber. Um, and we're probably anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred people short in our industry right now. Probably five to six hundred people short in the sawmills, and another five or six hundred people short in the woods in terms of loggers and truck drivers. So it's a really, it's kind of a, it's a tough time right now to be a logger or work in a sawmill, but it's a good time to be a timber landowner or a forester because timber markets are really good, and uh, because of supply and demand right now. So. Yeah, definitely, and that's the thing. You know, some people probably don't even realize that there are people out there like you that you can step in to make sure that no one's, you know, getting the runaround as far as, you know, their property being destroyed, it being timbered correctly. And as far as, you know, pricing, cause you see it every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, what I always tell people is we act pretty much as a real estate agent for timber. You know, we come in and we, we assess the best way to harvest it, which is 
you know, my favorite part of the job is being able to come in and, and critique a piece of ground and, you know, really being able to apply the silviculture practices to it that it needs to be able to, to harvest it in the future. And, you know, the, the words that I always use, and it sounds really cheesy, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not cutting it for me and I'm not cutting it for the current landowner. I'm cutting it for my kids and for their kids. You know, that's, and that's the goal you got to have is you, you can't cut it for today. You got to cut it for 20, 25 years from now. So, cause the, cause the, you know, that's the effect that you have on timber. It's not like you can, you can put that tree back on a stump, you know, after it gets, after it gets cut down, you know, as much as you would want to sometimes you just can't. So, but yeah, that's essentially, I mean, we, we just make sure the landowner doesn't get taken advantage of. And, you know, that's, that's a really proud thing that, that I carry with me is, you know, being able to help people in that sense. And I mean, it's a really fulfilling, really fulfilling lifestyle. Yeah. I won't lie until probably about two, three years ago, I didn't really realize how much went into correct logging. I guess there's really two different types of logging that some of the, the old school loggers will just go in and, and cut everything or they'll do the, um, take what's best, leave what's rest. Yeah. Um, kind of thought process, which is all, which is my understanding. I'm not a logger or forester, but my understanding that's almost the opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you can't go in and, and just cut everything that, that's on the ground. You know, if you went in and and cut the value off a piece of ground, you're going to destroy it and you're going to set your rotation age back. You know, within double the length. You know, we we can go in and, and implement a sale and, and market accordingly to the, to the to the silviculture practices that need to be put towards it. And just what the ground needs at that time, and that right there will rub off, and you'll be able to generate a sale and, and have the habitat and wildlife needs that you need 25 years from now, you know. And uh, you know that all plays into the species, the aspect, the elevation, the average rainfall on a per county basis, whether you're west of 79 or east of 79. You know, I, I give this speech to my employees all the time: is you got to know where you are. And, you know, Harrison County timber is a lot different than, than Webster County timber. And, you know, it's, it's, that really plays a big factor into managing people's grounds, just knowing where you're at in the state. That's great. You know, honestly, that's something I even realized to even think about as far as the rainfall having, yeah. having to do with, you know, the different timber, just let mm-hmm. alone in a few counties. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, you know, like on Point Mountain in Webster County, I know my guys always get tired of hearing me talk about it. I mean, that the, t- the timber don't grow out of the ground anywhere better in the world than on Point Mountain in Webster County. I'll tell you that right now. And, you know, and then, but Harrison County, you know, we're, you know, in this area, you know, we're tasked with all all kinds of invasive species and reclaimed mine ground and stuff like that. And, you know, our elevation, you know, we're about 2,000 feet shorter here in Harrison County and, and as they are in Webster, you know, and, and the rest of the high elevation counties too. So, and that, that plays a big factor into the grade of your timber and, and how that timber grows back and the trees per acre and a lot of different a lot of different forest stewardship ideas that, that go into that. You know, I can go – we're cutting the track in Helvisha right now, and, uh, you know, we cut almost a million feet off of it. And that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. But really, I mean, that timber could have been cut harder, and <laughs> it would it, – it, it probably it, – and in some instances, it need cut it harder, but – you know, there's still, I could take you through there and it doesn't even look like it hardly got cut. I mean, in, in some areas, some areas it looks rough, but in other areas, there's, it just looks like a, I mean, it looks, it looks awesome. It's what you want it to look like. Now, and that's something, you know, that's, you want me to go ahead, Matt? No, you go ahead, you got go ahead. It. No, so that's something I talked to you about before, Logan. Um, probably a few years back, remember the lease that we had 
Oh, you know, yeah. we had so, we had someone come in and you know timber it and you know it wasn't in our control so we really couldn't you know have someone come in and manage it because we were leasing the property. Yeah. But it was timbered incorrectly. It looked like almost I I say it almost looks like a bomb went off pretty much. Oh yeah, that's exactly exactly right. And I I'll be honest with you, I tell every one of my clients if we're going to produce a sale for them, and I tell them that's one of the first things that comes out of my mouth is it is going to look like an absolute bomb went off in this place. And it, you know, and I, I tell them that because logging is not pretty. It's no matter how you shake a stick at it and you're cutting a tree down in the woods and you can cut one tree down and it's going to look okay. But when you cut a couple hundred of them down or a couple thousand of them, it is not a pretty thing. And, uh, you know, it, logging's not pretty, but like you guys have said, and, you know, like a lot of people I know, you know, there's a good, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And, you know, there's an error percentage in everything, but, you know, and, and you got to know what to look for. And you got to be willing to educate people too. You know, that's, I always tell a landowner that, you know, you're probably going to hate me for some amount of hours within the duration of your timber getting cut. And, uh, you know, that's just something that I kind of understand. And I know my dad always goes back to when he cut our farm in Doddridge County and, you know, it hadn't been cut God, probably 80, 90 years. And he went in and cut it, you know, after they bought it. And it was the best thing for it. That was the best thing for that farm because you could see, you know, you could see 500, 600 yards through the woods and there was no deer, no grouse, no rabbit, no habitat. And uh, there wasn't any trees growing either besides the ones that were you know, big. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that you always got to be willing to educate people on. Is, and you can't you can't go around thinking everybody knows that, too. You know, you got to be willing to, to talk to people and, and explain it to them on a level that they can understand. So. And I, I guess exactly. whenever you're you're cutting trees, like really in its purest form, what you're doing is basically emulating a historical disturbance. Like it's almost like uh, you want it to be like a, a, a large fire went through, earthquakes, anything of that nature, because that that's yeah. how that's how it survived for so long. I mean, it, it needs those things. But now that when we have fires, you know, we have fire departments to put them out and things like that. So yeah. the, these forests don't see those things anymore. So without logging, I mean. That's the only way to yeah. really emulate that. It precisely. And that's, you know, I was just telling a, telling a guy a couple of hours ago, you know, the fire, there's a fire burning on, at the New River Gorge right now. And this morning they were saying it was about 100 acres and it was about half contained. You know, I, I hate to be the one to say it, but that's the best thing that country could have down there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, there's, no, there's no undergrowth, you know, and it's rockier than heck. And it's hard to fight fire down that, in that country, but. You know, and all in all seriousness, from a from a forestry perspective, just a wildlife management perspective, that's the best thing for that country. And uh, you know, I know places like the West are always a topic in terms of wildfires, but uh, you know, and I, I hate to say this too, but that's the best thing for that place out there is to burn. Yes. And you know, it obviously it devastates a lot of people, and you know, that's kind of out of the hands of the normal American citizen. But you know, if if, if the human population, if we aren't willing to manage the ground, Mother Nature is going to manage the ground. And when Mother Nature does, it is not pretty. Yeah. And it's a lot. It's a lot worse than firing a chainsaw up and seeing that log go to the sawmill. And uh, you know, yeah. I just I can't get people to understand that sometimes. And it's just a just a fact of life, though. You know. And, and that's Absolutely. one reason we wanted to do this podcast because there there is a huge knowledge gap in what actual forestry and logging is. And mm -hmm. like I said, I, I really didn't, I still don't fully understand it, but I really didn't even know. I was just your average person that didn't know a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff until just even a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the big yeah. thing. You don't realize how much the forestry side of things 
correlates to the wildlife side of things. Precisely. And that's, and I tell you, I'm, you know, you guys know I'm an avid hunter and an avid outdoorsman, and, you know, I always have been and, and always will be. And, um, you know, I, I've, I really started incorporating, you know, the aspects of wildlife into our timber sales um, more recently because it's something that my clients want to do, you know, and I, and, and so therefore I want to do it too, because obviously if I didn't do what they say, I wouldn't have a job, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's proven. I mean, they, I've got clients that teach me things all the time about, you know, their deer herd and how they know that their, their deers are moving through their property and all these kinds of different stuff. So, you know, and I, I've had several clients that have wanted to go out and, and mark their timber with me. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell this story. I had a, had a client in Ritchie County and he was 82 years old and, uh, and he planted a bunch of pine oh probably 40 years ago and, and he went out had about had about 100 acres and about half of it was pine and, and half of it was hardwood and uh he went through and marked every tree with us and uh you know he was just he wanted to see how the sale was going to be laid out and you know that was his original family ground and he was born and raised there and, and i tell you there's nothing more special than that right there guys i just being able to go through that with somebody and do that and see what they you know, see what they say and be able to teach them. And that's pretty daggone cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. they, a really they don't cool just, aspect. They're not looking at it as like a dollar sign. You know what I mean? They're, you yeah. know, they're taking it personal and, you know, they wanted mm -hmm. to, they want to learn the process as well. Exactly. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. That's something that if I had to say one, one of the most challenging things about my job is talking, talking clients out of cutting their ground too hard. And, you know, it's, I understand everybody's got financial burdens and, th and things mm -hmm. like that, but, you know, I, if I can talk, I talk people out of cutting timber sometimes and, you know, they, they may get a little frustrated with me, but, you know, when I'm able to go through and say, you know, I don't really think it's ready right now. And, you know, we ought to wait another five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then I'm able to put numbers on a piece of paper and say, you know, here's an, here's a percentage, you know, in, in this county and how it's going to grow and, and X and X and X and X. And, you know, and then that really puts it into perspective for them. And they're able to understand the financial gain they're going to be off of letting their timber grow. And also the, the wildlife and, and just the habitat and, and the forest management practices. And, you know, that's that's always something you got to be willing to do is, is to do that. So, so when you're yep. when you're meeting these people and, and, and setting up consultations and things like that, uh, I, I know there's different types of people out there. Like I would, I would want grouse on my property. Nate would probably yep. more want deer on this property. Do you do different types of cuts for eat for specific animals? Like, do you do like shelterwood harvest for one set of animal or a different type of cut, creating savannas and things like that? Like, or is it just kind of the, what's good for the bird is good for the herd type of idea? Yeah. I mean, overall, if I, if I had to say there was a certain, harvest that we practiced for per species you know we in terms of the deer you know we always cut the maple pretty hard and 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 on pieces of ground that people want to really see a deer herd on and i'll and i'll be honest with you and tell you why is when you go in and you cut maple specifically soft maple i really i really cut soft maple hard um number one it grows like wildfire in west virginia no matter where it's at and number two it, it provides a lot of feed and a lot of a lot of browse for your for your for your game species you know like deer and mm -hmm. things like that and at the same time you know you're able to go in and and create that thick early successional habitat for your grouse and your other small game species as well and you know i don't 
And in some cases, I don't cut the oak hardly at all. It just depends on the diameter classes that I see going through there. And, you know, a lot of the times when I go in and, and we're going to cut a piece of timber, unless I can walk through the woods and say, you know, we need to cut, need to cut this size or, and we need to make it a variable diameter limit as such, I'll go through and just take a couple plots, you know, 10th acre plots. And, and, you know, that'll kind of give me a, a rough average of the timber species that are in there. And it's also the most important, the diameter classes. Mm. You know, that's something that you, re, you really have to pay attention to in terms of that. And, uh, you know, diameter cutting has its has its benefits. You know, it's more of a financial gain, if anything. And uh, man, in some silvicultural instances, there is. But really, mark, going in and marking your timber, you know, and painting each individual tree and, and taking a look at each individual tree is is the way to do it. If you're going to manage your ground, you know, that's that's how you need to do it. And, and pretty and back to your question about if there was, you know, if, if there was a certain cut that we do, I mean. Yes, if the landowner asks for it, you know, I, I, that sale we're cutting in, in Helvetia right now, um, for instance, there we're doing a 45-acre clear-cut on it. And I actually talked them out of a 90-acre clear-cut, thank God, um, because it didn't really need it. But that timber was high-graded, and the oak and everything was cut out of this big poplar stand on a big east face all in, in 2013. And so there's nothing growing in there at all. It's just the big 24, 26-inch poplar trees and cherry and you know, it's nothing that's providing any cover, let alone any feed. I mean, there is literally nothing on the ground but just fern. And, I mean, there is some some regeneration here and there. And there was a couple of oak trees that we had found and we let, and we rang to, left, rang to leave. And, uh, you know, so the best thing to do for that ground was to clear cut it. And, you know, just the 45 acres. And it's kind of in the middle of the sail. So it's got a feathered edge around it to kind of provide that hard mass coming in from the edges. And uh, like I said, it lays on a big east face. So what probably what's going to come up in there is your hard maple and things like that that, that grows really good on those in those aspects. And uh, plus, it's in Randolph County, and that, you know that's some of the best timber in the east right there. So, but yeah, in terms okay. of that, we marked the sail around it on a variable diameter limit. Kind of did the clear cut in the middle of it to you know number one, silviculture it needed that. Number two, for the wildlife, that was the best thing to do for it. So in those circumstances, that's kind of how we apply the different harvest types per the per the animal species so so basically you look at the property and you you know you kind of figure out what they want what they need and then you kind of come mm. up with maybe a game plan or you know something along the lines to present to them precisely 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 yeah well so, i have one question yeah uh so we'll get, before we get too far about our way from burns so I, I ran into a prescribed burn <laughs> in Indiana, actually. So I want huh? you to kind of maybe elaborate a little bit more on a prescribed burn as far as like, you know, this, the prescribed burn that I ran into in Indiana was actually in a field, but it was like a CRP huh? field. Yeah. You know, I kind of want the benefits and, you know, as far as like the regeneration on, you know, maybe a timeline, just kind of an idea of like, you know, kind of, you know, break it down for me if you don't mind. Yeah. Nate, Nate so, hunted it that night and then he came back the next morning to hunt it and the entire field was burned. Oh my God. I and, and I didn't know the field was burned until it was daylight. I, I thought my clothes smelled like campfire, but it was off. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's yeah. hilarious. And they, I mean, in terms of burning, you can kind of break it down into two categories. You can break it down into number one, burning your fields off. And number two, burning inside of your timber set, inside of your timber stands. And okay. 
you know, we'll, we'll start with the fields. The field, You burn for the same reason in both instances. But in the fields, a lot of the time is what you're doing is you're increasing the nutrient richness in the soil. And you're also burning off thatch and et cetera, et cetera, these plants that aren't really providing anything for wildlife species. You know, and a lot of the times, you know, we all know when you burn, it's going to create, it's pretty much just wiping the slate clean and creating all this new growth. So a lot of the times, you know, and they do burns here in West Virginia as well, you know, on our fields and things, and mostly on our fields and our WMAs and stuff like that. And, you know, they're burning off the thatch and the old growth grass and stuff that just doesn't provide anything for wildlife. And they're going back in in the springs and things and, and even the fall and, and, and sowing that in with a with a frost cover or, or something like that. And uh, there's all kinds, I'll be honest with you, there's all kinds of seed mixtures and, and types that you can plant and list and list and list of things that you can do. But essentially, in terms of your fields, that's what you're doing whenever you go in and burn the fields. You're just burning off that old thatch and grass just to, to pretty much start fresh and with new growth, whether you seed it in or it naturally occurs. And yeah, because there's really you, not much in the field itself. I'm just using yeah. that as an example because I've, yeah. I've never ran into it before. Yeah, and yeah, you and, know, it's, and so. it's a different ball. It's a different ball game, you know. When you see a big fire out there in the middle of the field, you know, you, I ain't gonna lie, you get kind of nervous. But uh, you know, and, and the timber, the West Virginia, we don't burn enough. To be honest with you, in our fields and in our forest, and uh, you know, in our in our forest, what we're trying to do is kind of like in the same instance of a field is we're burning off that layer of, of, of buff more than less and your leaves and branches and things and you're trying to increase regeneration such as you know oak and, and stuff like that and you know there are certain age classes that you want to do that in with your timber too you know like at Glenville um that's where I went to college is we we always burned an acre a year for our, for our uh, um our wildland fire class and, uh, you know, we did it and there was kind of like a conglomeration of classes that come to it. But, you know, for silviculture class and fire class was pretty much your two biggest ones. And we would go in and like assess a stand, usually predominantly in white oak or you know, an oak species and probably an average diameter range of 18 to 20 inches, somewhere right around in there. And then we would burn it. And it's amazing. I'll have to send you all some pictures. It's, it's amazing to go through that stand after the burn and see the see the acorns laying on the ground and just how you know how they're sprouting and things like that and going back in there the year after and seeing the amount of regeneration that you're able to go through and and you know implement is just by doing that simple little burn and uh you know it's something that i've talked about with some fellows that i know in charleston and stuff about making it easier for landowners to burn and creating programs like they do in the west and in the south more more predominantly and, uh, you know, we've got foresters that I think are really capable of doing it. And we've got landowners that want to do it. And, uh, you know, it, it would be something that would have to be regulated to a sense. But it's not. It's something that's not out of the question. It's something that needs to be done. So that's probably yeah. the best way to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I that would make more sense, you know, as far as if it's going to help, why not? Mm, yeah. And I, I will say this, too. In some cases, burning... Burning can be bad. Um, you know, like we have a have an invasive species of Japanese stiltgrass. And, uh, you know, it thrives on, on soils that are nutrient-rich, like when, after you burn. And, uh, you know, it's Japanese stiltgrass is devastating to the interior of a timber cell or into a native field. You know, it just chokes all the new growth out. 
and it shades out the soil of, of, of the field or the forest floor. And uh, it's devastating. And it's something that we're trying to, trying to, you know, counter in every one of our sales and, you know, constantly, you know, reading about it and researching it and seeing how we can, you know, and, and also working with other consultants and seeing what they're doing for it, you know, and um, just seeing how you can fight against that stuff. But you got to be careful about it. And it's, you know, you kind of got to make sure it's not there prior. So I got you. I got you. So, okay. So when you were in school, you guys did that acre burn. Mm-hmm. Give me a little timeline breakdown. Maybe in a few months, what did you guys start to see? Um, we saw a lot of new growth. I mean, it was, it was definitely charred for several weeks and, uh, but then it started coming back and getting kind of green and, you know, stuff started, stuff started kind of greening up, I guess is the best way to do it. You know, you had acorns that were starting to kind of regenerate, I guess is the best word for it, sprout. Um, and then, and then it's wintertime, you know, so you're burning that off and you're getting that seed bed established. And, you know, we always burned in the fall because it's the best time to burn. And, uh, and it just comes back. And then in the springtime, you come in there and it's green. You've got regeneration, all kinds of things like that. That's without seeing one and being there, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. You know, it's, yeah, it's, that makes it's sense. something and that's that, pretty neat, though. And that's what kind of threw me off. I'm like, you know, it's the second week of November here and mm-hmm. we're burning fields. And, you know what I mean? And I'm like, you yeah. know, me as a deer hunter, I'm like, it's rut. Like, what are we oh, doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, hey, that's, just, man, but that just goes to show, you know, I mean, and see, that's I, more important. That's, yeah, that's exactly. And, and you gotta, and that's in the fall is the is fire season, you know, and in the summer and the spring, our humidity levels are too high. And, you know, when your humidity drops and as low as it like it is now, even with a kind of a wet night like tonight, you know, tomorrow when it dries out, like tomorrow is supposed to be, I think it's 60 or 61. You guys better watch because I tell you, it, it, there could be some good fires spark up tomorrow just because of the humidity levels and how potentially dry it could be. And uh, hmm. you know, it, it gets pretty nasty this time of year. And so I think I read there the other day, it was in the state, we've had like 528 fires throughout the state now, whether that be like a quarter acre or a couple hundred acres. It's, you know, so you just got to wow. be careful about it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Didn't realize how, how many there was. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. So it sounds like a, I would assume a lot of your jobs predominantly are on private land. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Predominantly okay. on private land. So yeah, that, I didn't have that question if he was doing anything for the state. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hit that in a second. But so when you're okay. hitting these private land jobs, mm-hmm. um, can you explain to people? what exactly a hinge cut is. And I'm just curious yeah. myself if, are you running into a lot of people that are trying to kind of do it themselves, do their own hinge cuts? Do you guys do hinge cuts? Is that something you even believe in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for, um, I'll just be honest. The first thing that I tell a landowner, the worst thing you can do is do nothing at all. You know, that's, if you don't, if, if you want to do something and you don't do anything, well, you're, you're obviously you're against the, against the plate already. Right. And, uh, you know, so I take them out and I'll show them what they can do. And for, and that's a good instance there is, you know, if their timber isn't ready to harvest, you know, and, and there's, and they still want to do activities yeah, to increase, they their, get out and increase their yield. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I had this conversation with a guy last, uh, last Sunday, actually, it was, I went over and he come in from out of state and, um, we went through his ground and, and I was telling him all these different things he could do. And, you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, your timber isn't ready yet. 
and we can cut it, but it's going to look like a clear cut. And that's not what you want. You know, you want to manage and his son's standing right there. I said, you want to manage it for him. You know, that's, that's the best thing you can do. And so that's what I was telling him. And I went through and was showing him some hinge cuts, but essentially how I do a hinge cut is it may be a little uncanny to some, but for me, for, I think safety a lot into things. And so I usually like to do a hinge cut right above the, right at the waist. You know, if you're holding a chainsaw, you don't have to bend over and you just cut it off right there at the, you know, at your waist level, your belt level, and you just kind of let it fall, but you got to be careful about it. And, you know, I always do things maybe anywhere from four inches to eight inches. When you start getting bigger than eight, you kind of take the risk of that trees, you know, um, sitting back in a chair or something like that. And, you know, that gets kind of dangerous when you do, but, um, we've done a couple different things. I helped a friend of mine do a, uh, do an Oak Savannah in Roan County. And, uh, that's really, I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out in this fall. Um, Those see, how that, see how that seem to be really coming big for, yes. for deer hunters. They seem to really yes. work well. I'll tell you, I, I had never even really heard of one. And uh, we were turkey hunting last year on a WMA, and uh, I'm a really big turkey hunter. And uh, we actually set up and killed killed a pair of gobblers right there in that in that oak savanna. Nice. And uh, you know, being a forestry nerd like I am, and my buddy's a forestry nerd too. You know, we're sitting there and we're pretty much having like a starstruck moment because you know we just literally you know the the last evening we had a lecture about oak savannas. And then here we are, we walk into one at you know, seven o'clock in the morning and call two long beards up and we both, and we get a double That's and, awesome. uh, you know, and we're sitting there talking about the, the habitat and like looking at the birds and just, you know, look, just, I mean, it was just an eye opening experience. And so, I mean, Bob and the next week we were down there on his farm cutting one out and, uh, but they're super awesome. But essentially what an oak savannah is for people who don't know is you go in, you pretty much cut everything out, but your oak and your, especially your bigger oak diameters. Um, you know, like on, on that property down there, we were leaving stuff 18 to 24 inches and, uh, and also there wasn't much else underneath that in terms of oak, but that's the, the oak diameters we were leaving, cutting the maple and the hickory and everything else out. Um, and then they, I, you know, what, what he was going to do was go in and seed it in with a shade tolerant mixture and work the ground and, and see what happens with that. It's kind of like a, you know, it's, you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, kind of process, but you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out, and if it works good, I'm going to you know probably start implementing that on some of my clients' ground, yeah, and uh, and see how that works. But um, but no, it's and you know it's funny you mentioned that one of the things I had written down here to talk about is is kind of some of the forest stewardship and, and our NRCS programs that are available for land. <laughs> That's what I was getting. And, I was um, literally that was my yeah. next question was about and, NRCS and TR. If you did any work with TRCP and, and mm-hmm. then NRCS is part of the USDA and RGS and yeah. all that. So yeah, yeah if you want to yeah. hit on that, that would be perfect. Yeah, I mean, I'll be. I mean, I'm a really big advocate for those programs. And I before some, before I get you going. Yeah. Explain to me what all of those are, because I do okay. not know what those are. All right. RCS. Oh, so, yeah. You go ahead. go ahead. So the NRCS is the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Um, they are a government agency, and they kind of have two categories. Um, they have a farm category, and then they have a forest category, essentially. Um, and what they do is they provide they provide funding for private landowners to go out and do 
forest management work um, on their grounds. So in terms of forest management work, we're talking cutting your grapevines, um, spraying invasive species and doing TSI work, which is timber stand improvement. Um, you know, they do even do anything from like a one acre clear cut to increase habitat for golden wing warblers and cerulean warblers, which is a <laughs> you're a literally hitting all of species. my topics. <laughs> golden wing <laughs> warbler was my next topic. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. so that's that's kind of that's kind of the programs that um, that they implement, and I mean we use a lot a lot of them. Um, those guys probably get tired from hearing from me. Um, we are doing a major project right now in Barber County. We're going doing about a 190 acre TSI TSI um, job on a uh, on a 190 acre marked timber cell unit. Um, so we are going to sell the timber off that ground, but it's so profuse and invasives and, and things like that that it had to be TSI'd prior to the harvest of the timber because if we didn't, it would come back in just nothing but invasive species. So we're going in and, and, you know, we've got a certain dollar amount calculated per acre of, in terms of what I'm paying my employees, the herbicide cost, the fuel cost, everything. And, uh, you know, we, we got funded for that. Um, a, a pretty good amount of money funded for that. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a really, they're really, really good programs, really, really good programs. And they're not utilized enough. And, and I'll say this, and I don't want to sound arrogant when I say this, but when I apply for programs like that for my clients, the, the guys that I work with and I have, I have worked literally with um, in my past job, um, they know, they know that we're serious and they know that we are going to do the absolute best job that we can. And we're going to, I mean, we're going to make a difference in the woods and, you know, it's, you know, what's fair is fair in the government, but, um, you know, it, it helps it's, it's comfort needs to mind for those guys who are providing funding to our clients that the work's going to get done and it's going to get done right because there's only one way to do it. And that is right. So, um, but yeah, they're, they're excellent programs and it falls right in with the managed timberlands program that the state of West Virginia offers. Um, it's pretty much a tax tax benefit program. Um, if you're a timberland owner and you have ten, own 10 acres or more in the state of West Virginia, you're out to get, you know, anywhere from a 50 to a, to a 70% tax deduction. Um, just by being a managed timberlands program, it's kind of the same thing as the agricultural tax break. Um, but it's a, it's a really, really good program, and it and it's something that I always, always, always offer up to my clients, unless they're unless they're scared of the government. But you know, even then, you know, I always tell people if the government wants you, they're going to get you. So <laughs> it don't it doesn't really matter. But um, they're they're good programs. They're really good programs. So. I'm so glad you talked about those because getting the word out about those things, a lot of people just don't know about them, and the more people exactly. that find out about how beneficial it can really be for them. The more wood that gets cut, the more wildlife that comes back, the better it is for our kids. Precisely. That is 100% it. That is 112% it. So, but yeah, they, they are, uh, they're programs that aren't utilized enough. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing about that is, is, you know, our, we have a huge consultant forestry shortage in the state right now. And, you know, so there isn't, there isn't enough consultants to go out and help imp implement these acts on these on pieces of ground. And, uh, you know, I'm probably the youngest consult. Actually, I, I know I'm the youngest consultant in the state. I'm only 22. And, you know, probably the next, the next youngest guy is my dad and he's 51. So, 
you know, there's a couple guys in their forties and things, but as far as I know, I, I think like the second or third oldest guy is youngest guy is my dad. So, you know, that just goes to show that, and then we need, we need more consultant foresters. And that may sound crazy to some people that I'm saying that because it's, you know, I mean, they're competition, but they're not competition because, you know, we're in it for the greater good. And, uh, you know, like I said, timber, timber plays a huge, huge, huge role in our state. And uh, it's something that this industry is really proud of and something the state should be proud of. You know, we're the third most forested state in the nation. I'm pretty sure we're number one most forested in terms of hardwoods. And, uh, you know, it, it benefits a lot of families. And it's, you know, I, I was raised and grew up in the timber industry. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, I mean, I grew up sitting in a log skitter or on a loader, you know, <laughs> work on going on Hamer's timber sales. And that's, I wouldn't have it any other way. But we need more foresters. We need more foresters. I didn't realize we were that high up in the nation. Yes. Yes. Is, by far. Is yep. Maine, uh, I'm assuming Maine's pretty high up there. Yes, I believe Maine is one or two. Yeah, I believe. I think Alaska is number one. Um, it's either Alaska or Vermont. Yeah, a lot of cutting um, up. But in I, Vermont I, too. I, I think I think Vermont may be number one because it's a smaller state, and so therefore the percentage is higher. And then I think Maine's number two, and then West Virginia's number three. We've got any, we've got about eleven point million acres, eleven point eight million acres of private forest. And I think we've got about, uh, I think it's like 9 million acres or something like that of forested ground. So, and somebody may be able to fact check me on that. I'm sure they will. But, um, <laughs> um, um, but I, I I'll take your word for it. I think that, I think those are the numbers. So of a 12 million acre state, a million of its national forest. Um, and then I think there's about, oh, Eight to nine million, million acres of forest ground. I think so. Wow, that's so, impressive. So uh, you've you've pretty much hit all, most of my topics. I at least brushed them, which I was impressed because everything, every single thing I was getting ready to say, I was going to talk about invasive species and how to deal with that. You already said you guys, oh, yeah. you guys spray and you run, you run into that. Uh, I do want to get back to the golden wing warbler, but uh -huh. I did have one more question and then. Um, and then they can ask um, if he has any. So we, there are some people such as like my family, we have a family farm. A lot of mm -hmm. it's not timber. So a lot of it's yeah. uh, big open farmland that we have cows and things like that on. Is there any like suggestions or anything that you do for that? As far as you come in and say, you should plant these trees here, or is there anything that um, you would consult for that? Or is are you yeah. mostly just looking at the forest? Yeah, I mean, we we do a lot of work in terms of just wildlife as well. Um, you know, I, I've got a client in Barber County, and I, I put 200 and some hours into their farm this year planting food plots and taking care of their meadows for, for deer. And, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of time out there planting about 26 acres of food plots, um, different various types, and then, you know, the rest of it of fields, you know, we mowed continuously. Um, went through, limed, fertilized, did soil tests, did the whole nine yards. And, uh, you know, I, I, that, that was, you know, that's a, that's a big client, but, you know, it's still, we, we did the whole ball game right there. And, uh, and, you know, in, in terms of that, I've always, I'm always, 
you know, recommending to people what they ought to do with their fields and things, because that plays a big factor into being just the wildlife management aspect of it. Um, you know, trees aren't everything, you know, they, they rely on that forage and browse from the field as well. And uh, usually what I tell folks is there's no better food plot than a well-managed hay meadow. And, you know, you go through and you fertilize that ground and, and, and you overseed the ground and, and you, you lime it. The deer will eat that up. They will eat it up. And, you know, you just drive down, drive down the road in the summertime and, and look at a, a farmer's hay meadow that's really well taken care of and how many deer are in the field. Always have deer in the fields. Exactly. And, you know, it's, that, there's no better food plot than that. And then you're able to utilize it for hay as well. And, you know, to, to keep that continuous new growth up, you got to, you got to mow it. And, uh, so therefore you're getting a kind of a two for one deal. You know, you're getting really, really good habitat for your deer and your turkey and et cetera. And then you're also able to cut it and then make a kind of have a cash crop in a way, I guess. So there you go, Matt. There you go. That's, yeah. that's good to know. You got, yeah, any, you exactly. got any other questions for him, Nate? No, I don't. He uh, he covered on the topic I really wanted to get into, and the you, you knew burning. it was coming. Yeah, I knew it yeah. was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little upset, so I I, I, had, I needed to dive in. Rightfully on so, rightfully so. I tell you, there's, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of hard on is education. You know, I'm I start grad school in January at WVU, and and I think the education that I'm going to provide to folks is going to be eye opening. And uh, I know I say that I'm going to school, but I think there's other people that are going to go to school with me. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, because it's, it's just a really eye-opening thing in the advances that we're making in forestry right now and in private landowner representation in the state and um, all these new markets and stuff. It's something that education is king, and education is something that nobody can ever take away from. You. And, you know, being able to go out and relay information to a landowner and being able to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a landowner and talk about his timber or her timber and how they need to take care of it for their kids' kids is something that we've gotten away from, and 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 that needs to be re-implemented back into the back in the profession. And uh, you know, I was lucky to be raised around people in the industry that still live by those words, and I, and I still live by them by myself. And uh, you know, we education's everything, and being able to go out and educate somebody on how their ground needs to be managed. Is a is something that no dollar amount can touch. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just that's real important. That's real important. That's good. Point. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's the best way to look at it because yeah. you know it's there to be out there to learn and take it and you know utilize it and just gotta go get it basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly it. So Logan, um, Logan, do you have any recommend recommendations like any books or anything? Maybe people that like want to learn more just about you know what what a locust tree compared to a cherry tree is, you know, something like that. Anything um, like along those lines? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the Virginia tech school of forestry is a really, really good program. Um, even at Glenville, you know, our professors always, always had us go on there and, and read about things. And, you know, especially in your tree IDs, especially your tree species and your wood product species, mm -hmm. um, going in and understanding the grain patterns and, and how that tree grows in the woods. Um, but on, honestly, I mean, the best way, the best way to learn about something, this may sound cheesy is, is YouTube. I mean, yep. there's a lot of, there's a lot of people on YouTube that, that really do an excellent job. You know, Dr. Craig Harper is an absolute fiend when it comes to food plots and forest management work. 
you know, if there was one person that I would have to recommend somebody to to listen, it's Dr. Craig Harper from the university. I think he's from the University of Tennessee, and he is just he is an incredible person. I mean, just absolutely incredible and encompasses. And he honestly is he's what I strive to be like because he encompasses so many things into his work. And it's just it's absolutely incredible what he does. Um, but that, um, you know, there's a lot of publications by the Forest Service um, that are good to read. Um, okay. I wouldn't I don't recommend people talking talking to really, you know, foresters from the Forest Service about how they should manage their ground because the Forest Service has a hard enough time managing their own ground. And, uh, you know, I won't get into that rant, but, um, that, you know, but that's, you know, they, they have publications about, about studies and stuff like that. And then also, you know, West Virginia university is another good one. Um, they've got a lot of publications that they've, you know, done and developed off the state forest there at Cooper's rock. Um, and then, you know, you've also got the West Virginia division of forestry as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of those foresters on the state land side of things who actually get to go out and implement true forestry practices, um, you know, those guys are just a walking knowledge too. So, you know, and, and any forester, if you, at least I'm like this, if you call me and you just want to talk about how you can manage your ground or just have, you know, how can I identify a white oak? How can I identify a, a black gum? How can I identify an olive? Well, you know, I'll, you can call me and I'll give you the best I can. There's no, there's no issue with that at all. So, you know, really, really, if I had to answer that question in a precise way, you know, there really is no answer because there's just so many ways that you can do it. And, you know, yeah. if you see Forrester by somebody's name, you know, call them. But, I mean, what's the worst they're going to do is tell you, hang up the phone. <laughs> and, yep. uh, so, yeah, that's the best thing I can tell you. Okay. No, I appreciate that. I'm going to look into that YouTube thing because yeah. I, I utilize that a lot. And that's a for sure thing that you yeah. know, I want to maybe educate yeah. myself as far as when I'm walking through the woods and what I'm yeah. looking for and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm, and I, you know, that's, in terms of social media, you know, I'm not real big into it, but that's always kind of what I always try to incorporate into my feed and stuff is just educating folks on, on, on the sale and things like that. And, you know, just maybe that little, I don't know, three paragraph, three word, three uh, line paragraph may really, you know, kind of open somebody's eyes up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, and if anybody wants to read, yeah. Yeah. If anybody wants to reach out to me about anything with any questions or how they can manage their ground, they'll, I, my phone's open 24 hours a day, so it's a uh, you know I'm lost. I'm out of service. I'm willing to talk. So. Yeah, no, and that's the whole reason you know me and Matt started this a long time. You know we've been trying to you know get people like you on here to educate, just let alone educate us and our listeners. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you yeah. know I can't sit in here and, and talk about forestry because I don't know anything about it. So yeah. bring someone like you that's you know that can talk about it, and we I've learned so much already in just this whole this podcast. Let alone you know other things I'll look into. Exactly. And that's, you know, we're within our business, we're, we're, we're growing every day. And I'm, I mean, it's not grown in terms of client base, but we're going, we're growing in education as well. You know, we're doing all kinds of projects from, you know, waterfowl habitat projects on private ground to, you know, new types of timber sales to working with new types of buyers to just everything new we are trying to capitalize on because, you know, if there's something out there then we want our landowners to be able to reap the benefits off, off of it like we do. And that's just how it should be. Everybody should be like that. You know, it's, we can't work against each other. You know, we got to be willing to work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, you, are you good, Matt? I think that's a good place to close right there. I, I, appreciate I do that. have to ask yeah. one question that I ask every yeah. guest that comes on. 
have you seen any graphs in West Virginia lately? Oh yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> you don't don't say where. Um, I just <laughs> I always ask. Um, I just kind of get a gauge. I I figure the one person that has seen him is you. And then the oh, last yeah. thing I I want to I just have to talk about a tad bit is the golden wing warbler. Um, it being a habitat specialist um, mm-hmm. and needing, you know, certain environments and things like that. Have you been Have you been seeing many of those in West Virginia as well? Um, here and there, and more specifically in the early successional habitat areas, which I don't see a whole lot of. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Um, because we don't cut enough timber. Um, now I have friends that have worked on in their large company ground, and they see quite a bit of that those kind of wildlife species because that is the habitat that they're working in and uh but but honestly very rarely very rarely you know unless i go through a timber cell that was cut a couple years ago which you know i've i've only been really doing this full full time since may and uh you know we're we're cutting timber now currently that i won't go back into for probably another 20 years wow um you know so it's not that i'm not just going to cut it and walk away but just in terms of harvest numbers that's that's when we'll be back in there again gotcha. but um uh-huh. yeah but if i had to answer that it's a 50 50 50 50 all right well yeah so, i think uh kind of i agree with nate that was a that was a good episode very eye-opening lots of education and we appreciate you coming on and sharing it your your business the jth uh enterprise was definitely way more extensive than than i knew and i'm glad that there's something like that something like that in mm-hmm. west virginia and something like that close to home <laughs> where i live so um yeah, yeah if yeah. if you want to tell people how to get a hold of you as far as we we said that we could call you we didn't really give it out any contact information if you want to give them your your uh facebook handle or the phone number whatever you want to do just so they know how to get in touch with you yeah my uh my facebook handle was just logan Hossifluck. And, uh, and my Instagram name is LT, LT, LT Haas 50. Um, you know, so you can go on and and look me up, um, Facebook, Instagram, however, and you guys can, you guys can have, you know, be feel free to post my contact information in the, uh, in the description of the podcast too. That's no problem at all. Okay. I think Um, I got you at, uh, does this number sound right? Three Oh four, six, four, one, zero, zero, one, zero. Does that sound right? It is. That's three Oh four, six, four, one, six, six, four. Okay. It's my number. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So yeah. Thank you, Logan. I appreciate it, man. It's, it's crazy. You know, we go, we go way back here working back at McFly's. So here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Times have changed. No doubt. No doubt. All right, boys. We all have a good evening. All right. Thanks for coming on, Logan. You too, man. Thank you, y'all. where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Oh, that's awesome.
Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.